0: i like to thank you all for the invitation. I don't know if you knew I was invited. Kyle texted me early this week and told him I'd lost, I'd lost all my contacts. My phone was, people would call me that I'd had forever and didn't have a name, just had a number. But I got a text that says, hey, do you want to preach Sunday afternoon? And I said, yes, who is this? And I said, I'll, I'll never turn down. I'll never turn down an opportunity. I I may not be the best one for the job, but I will never turn down an opportunity uh, to preach the gospel because it helps me, and uh, I hope and pray that I can help maybe uh, one or two other people. Um, We're going to talk about, let's turn over to 1 Chronicles, the 21st chapter. 1 Chronicles 21. We're going to talk about seeing sin as God sees it. This is something that was brought, uh, well, just kind of smacked me right in the face. Uh, The world has gotten us so conditioned, and I'll I'll take that back. The world has gotten me so conditioned that I've been around uh, the word sin, the idea of sin, people in the world, how they view sin, and the way the world views sin is not even close to the way God views it. And if you're not real careful, you become one of those people that classifies sins, that says, well, that's not so bad, or that's you know, that'll be okay, or whatever like that. And we all know sin is bad. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time we're together, hopefully, if we're not encouraging one another, we're talking about, about sin and, and its consequences. But we all know sin is bad, and if you ask anybody on the street, most everybody's going to say either, yes, sin is bad, or they don't think anything about it. It's just sin is It's just whatever you want to do. There's no such thing as sin. And uh, I'm afraid that when I look back at the way I react to situations, a lot of times my view of sin is not even close to the way God views sin. And, you know, let's start at the outset. God uh, absolutely hates sin, and his view of sin has not changed. The view of the world has changed, and they've changed the definition, the view and the way they consider it over the years, but the view from God's eyes, if we can put ourselves in God's place, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but looking at sin the way God sees it, we're going to have a very different view than maybe what we, the way we look at it. Uh, I've heard some people, they'll say, well, it's just I, just, I made a mistake. I've made a mistake. Well, you know, when I was a kid, my mom used to tell me, when you do your homework, use a pencil because you're going to make a mistake. You might misspell or you might not put your numbers in the right column and you can erase it and then put it back in there. That's the kind of mistake, when I use mistake, sin is not a mistake. Sin is much worse than that. Uh, I've heard some people, and there was a a gentleman, um, uh, a a brother, uh, who had a terrible temper and his father had a terrible temper and his grandfather had a terrible temper and everybody in the general wherever, where he lived, they all knew it. Well, he just said it's a character flaw. That's just the way I am. Well, you know, what are you going to do when you stand before God? And I know this is a hypothetical because it's not going to be standing in front of God saying, all right, I'm going to argue my case. What are you going to do and say, well, you know what? That's just a character flaw. You know, my grandfather and my father were the same way. You think God's going to say, well, you know what? You didn't have any choice in the matter. Just go on through. He's not going to. And then some people say, well, you know, sin's a problem, and it is. But I've also had, let's not minimize it by calling it these things, uh, calling it a problem, a character flaw, or just a mistake. It's much bigger than that. And, you know, when I look at my prayer life, and I need to work on it quite a bit, um, you know, I don't want to sin. I mean, all of us here would say, no, I don't want to sin. I mean, and that's the right, that's the right answer. But sometimes I've gotten into this a little ritual and again, I'm just speaking for myself, and I hope that none of you all uh, are even like this. But I do something, or I think something, or I say something that I know is not right with God. I have sinned, I have missed the mark. And I offer my prayers, and I ask God for forgiveness, and then let just go on about my business. And, and you get to where it's just kind of like, a, okay, I got to do this, got to do, I, I hit all the checked all the boxes, and let me just get on with my life. And let's not, now we don't need to dwell on our sin, but when we ask God forgiveness, for forgiveness, let's think about it. Let's learn from it and not get into just a a habit. And there are some good habits and there are some bad habits. And a bad habit is just thinking about sin. Yeah, I'll take care of it. Yeah, God, forgive me about that. Okay, I'll try not to do it again and moving on. We need to be really, really careful with that. And those times are going to come. After you've become a child of God and you've, you've become a Christian, there are times that it's easy to be a Christian. It's Easy to do the right thing, and there's sometimes that it is very, very difficult to do the right thing. And in those times of spiritual weakness, 1 Chronicles 21, I read this again, um, and uh, this kind of jumps out and it shows that my view of sin, that my perspective on sin is greatly inadequate sometimes, a lot of times. Uh, it opens up my eyes, and if I can just remember this, this one account, and there's more than one, but this one right here in particular, uh, kind of jumps out at me. We talk about, and I'm, I'm going to summarize, but we'll talk about three parts of it. David numbered the people. And then there was a plague that followed sent by God. <clears throat> and then the sacrifice that we read about near the end of the chapter at Ornan's uh, threshing floor, it brings me back to reality. Um, and again, like I've said before, the world's view of sin is not reality. Let's not ever adopt uh, our views or adapt our views to the way the world sees sin. Satan has done a really good job of getting us to gloss over when we violate God's will. We maybe sometimes don't realize just how serious that is. That, yeah, I made a mistake. I did this or that. We just gloss over it and we move right on. Sin is far more, I I call it a, a, a mistake and a character flaw and a problem. And this is another thing that if you don't get anything else out of this lesson... Please think about this. Sin is far more than inappropriate behavior. You know, uh there were when I was out in public and I did certain things that my mom, well, she warned us before we ever got out of the got out of the car. She said there's things you don't do. There's things you don't do. That's inappropriate behavior. Let's not put sin into inappropriate behavior. Again, it's so much more. It's not a social uh faux pas. I did ooh, I messed up. I'm oh, sorry about that. And it's so much more than just slipping up or making a mistake. And, and that's, that's what I need to remind myself every day is that there's so much more when we violate God's will. And it is a devastating division. And I use that word, I don't use that word carelessly. When God cannot abide where sin is, and when we sin, what do we do? God never moves. It takes us as far away from God as we can be. We might say, well, I just told a little lie or I just did this little thing. There's people who do so much worse. Well, you know what? We're over there with those people. Whether I murder, kill, whatever, and I lie, I'm I'm in the same position. Uh, Some people have called it dreadful wickedness, vile evil, and that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what sin is. We need to think about how terrible that is. I told you to go to 1 Chronicles 21, but we're going to read a couple New Testament passages uh, before we... Uh, start back there. Turn over to Romans three, <clears throat> Romans chapter three, verses ten through eighteen. Romans three, ten through eighteen. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even one. Their throat is an open grave, with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then turn over to Ephesians, the second chapter. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we all too formerly lived uh, in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Would you ever, when you read that, would you ever put yourself as one of these people I just read about? I bet you none of us would. But you'd say, I wasn't that bad. Well, again, God doesn't classify sin. We were just like um, God's intent here and among other passages. It was to let us know that, uh, that I was that bad because I sinned, not because I did those particular things, but that's how he views us. This is how God saw me when I was in sin. He saw us as as children of wrath. And through all the things I just read about in Romans uh, 3, excuse me, in Ephesians 2, he saw us as these things because that's what we were when we were in sin. And, uh, you know, like I said, I didn't see myself that way. And sometimes still don't. But I need to realize again that God saw me that way. And that God says when you are in sin, that that is what you are to me. So let's turn back over now. We'll go over to 1 Chronicles 21. And I don't know how familiar we are with the story, but David sent Joab out in verse 2. He says, David said to Joab, to the princes of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan and bring me word that I may know their number. And we won't read it all, but he just wanted a census. He wanted to number Israel. See how many fighting men he had. What's so bad about that? We do a census about every, I think, 10 years in the United States. What's so bad about counting the people? Sounds perfectly fine to me. And So you have to think about why on earth uh, was this so bad because as we're going to read in just a little bit, and we could speculate, we could sit here and speculate why God didn't want his people counted. You know, we could have a roundtable discussion. Uh, We might even come up with what we thought were good reasons why God didn't want his people counted. But we'd be missing the point. Uh, it's not why God didn't want His people counted. It's that God didn't want them counted. It's that's, and as someone told me, and it stuck with me, he gets God gets to define sin because He's God. We wouldn't know what sin is. We wouldn't know what any of this was if God didn't tell us what sin was. And He said, "This is what you do. This is what you don't do. This is what sin is. It's transgression of the law. It's missing the mark." And so God said, "I don't want that done." Now, one person said, how was David supposed to know? Well, look at verse 3. Joab said, may the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are, but my Lord the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why does my Lord seek this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt to Israel? You know what? Joab knew. Joab knew it was wrong, and so therefore David had to know it was wrong. Joab didn't know any more than David did, and he pleads before the king, he says, we shouldn't do this. But he did it anyway. And again, David probably felt like we do. What's so wrong with it? If it's a sin, it's not a big one. What's it going to matter? And again, I hope I'm the only one that's thought that, and I am sorry that I ever did, but we can't think about that. It did matter. It did matter to God, and he takes all sin very seriously. What we would think of as a one sin or a lifelong, uh, a life full of sin or one transgression. God looks at them the same. It's serious. So because David sinned, God struck Israel and he sent the angel of the Lord and he gave him three choices. He said, David, this is what your choices are. Three years of famine, three months of devastation by the nations round about you, or three days of the sword of the Lord. Now, you imagine, because of a sin that we committed, the Lord comes and, or sends an angel and says, all right, Kyle, because you did this, I'm going to give you three choices. You're not going to have anything to eat for three years. It's going to be a dust bowl out here. Or you're going to be constantly fighting for three months with nations probably that circle on every side. You won't have any protection or three days from the sword of the Lord. That's a bunch of real good choices, isn't it? I mean, I would, I'd throw my hands up and say, none of them are good. And they aren't any good. And why is it? It's because David sinned and David had to learn. David had, and he knew, David had to know that God was not going to be pleased with it. So he chose uh, in verse, well, I didn't write it down. I apologize. Oh, verse, verse 8. David said to God, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing, but now please take away the iniquity of your servant for I have done very foolishly. He now realized and he was hoping that God would be merciful. And verse 14, so the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel. 70,000 men of Israel fell. Now I could stop here and talk about the consequences of sin and that would that would be worth our time to, to study that. But that's not what we're going to talk about. But think about that. The total was 1,570,000 men and in three, three days, 70,000 men died because of David's sin. And... That's about four and a half, give or take, four and a half percent of the total fighting, uh, or the men of the of the country, and so, excuse me, seventy thousand men died. Now look at it through God's eyes. This is how He sees sin. This is how important this is. This is how vile and repugnant our disobedience is, and this is the cost of our sins. You know, I haven't ever sinned and caused seventy thousand men to die. But I have sinned against God and I have caused a lot of problems. And I've caused myself, me, to be taken away uh, from God's good graces. And this is what we deserve. When we sin, this is what we deserve. Uh, never have I ever seen David, when he realized how he was wrong, and he, he'd he done many things in his life, did he ever say, God, you were too hard on me. He always came back to God and said, and, and entreated the Lord, he said, and he, he was always sorry for what he did and he tried to make it right. And so I've, I've known people and maybe sometimes myself where I've said, God, you're just too hard on me. Well, I need to be real careful because if the Lord dealt with me then as he did in the first, uh, in the Old Testament, early New, New Testament, he would have struck me dead for being that, um, I don't know what the word is, uh, proud or rebellious to talk to God that way, when I've even thought that way. That's been something you need to be really careful about. And God could have gone further because he's God. And again, he defines sin and he sets the rules. But David placed himself in God's hands. Let's turn over to Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. I didn't have it marked. I do apologize. Here we go. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses, verse 23. And this this needs to be um, our uh, our thoughts and the way we need to think too. Ezekiel 18, 23, he says, do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than he should, that he should turn from his ways and live? Sometimes we make our own judgments about who should live and who should die and who should, well, not live and die, but who should have the gospel and who shouldn't. And that's not ours to make. God says to go and teach all those. We should want and pray that everyone that we know and everyone that we come in contact with, uh, instead of being a wicked and evil person, would have the opportunity and would turn from their evil ways and seek God. <clears throat> and um, so you've got to think about this. This is how bad he looks at sin. These weren't evil men. These were 70,000 fighting men. These were 70,000 men of of God that uh, because of David's sin died. And and that's a terrible thought. You think about just the, I guess, the logistics or whatever of this. I don't know how big the area was, but 70,000 men who had families, who I'm sure some of them had families, if not most, and they had to bury 70,000 men because of what David did, because of the sin. And And it's just... It's just sad. It's, it's very, very sad. Um, God provided the means to stay the punishment. He said, uh, he sent the angel of the Lord and he told David, this is what you must do. In First uh, Chronicles in verse 18, the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. <laughs> David didn't figure it out on his own. That's something that a lot of people will... I've, that I've actually spoken to, when they know that they are not living right, they said, "Well, I'll do this. Well, I'll do that. Surely God will be happy with this." I'm not going to guess whether God is going to be happy with what I do, whether, whether my worship or whether however I do. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to guess about it. I, I need to find out. I need to go to the scriptures. I need to find out. This is what I need to do to live right, and this is what I need to do when I've lived wrong, and I need to repent and come back to God. This is what I need to do. I'm not going to guess. I'm not going to wonder because the Lord makes it very clear. He tells us exactly what we need to do. And so Gad's messenger told him what to do. In verse, uh, it talks about 18, about Gad, Excuse me, Ornan the Jebusite. Verse 20, Now Ornan turned back and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves and Ornan was threshing wheat. To me, it's... it's uh, I'm not making light of the situation, but they were trying to hide from the angel of the Lord. Now, how difficult do you think that would be? It'd be impossible, but they they, had, they evidently knew what was going on, that 70,000 men had just been had just been killed, and they saw the angel of the Lord coming, so they decided to hide themselves. So David came to him, and he said, this is what I've got to do. This is what the angel of the Lord, or this is what God has told me to do. Ornan was willing to give all that he had. He said, you can have my threshing floor, you can have everything to sacrifice here I'll give it all to you, you know, just to maybe to spare my my family everything that David needed. But in verse twenty four, and, and there's been a lot of good lessons on this. David, uh, but King David said to Ornan, "No, but I will surely buy it for the full price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord, or offer a burnt offering which costs me nothing." A lot of uh, a, a lot of people will uh, give God out of their excess. They'll. Uh, reaching their pocket as the plate's coming around and they'll oh, and just throw something in there. They don't plan on giving God. And, you know, if you haven't given God everything, if you haven't given him your whole being and everything that you think and do and give in the collection plate and everything else, then you've not given God enough. So, we, I mean, we, again, that's another thing we could stop and talk about, but I want to keep going. Um, it was his sin. David said, it's my sin. It's going to be my sacrifice so he built an offer, uh, an altar, offered a sacrifice, and God approved of it. Of it by fire, um, came down and, and uh, hit hit the uh, offering of the altar on the altar. <clears throat> and then David, when he was through, he didn't go. I dodged that one, and then go about his regular business. Uh, we don't see David ever doing that. David made a lot of uh, uh, came up short a lot of times and sinned. His life. I heard somebody talking about, about how God picks people to tell their story. And I've never, there's only two in the Old Testament that you read about that were, and that's Joseph and Daniel, that were, you didn't see a lot of bad things in their life. They weren't perfect by any stretch. But he picked a lot of imperfect people to, to take care, uh, to do what he wanted to do. And David went sin with Bathsheba, the numbering of, of the children of Israel. There were so many things that he did that were wrong. Uh, but, but he. But when David, when he saw what was, what he'd done was wrong, and this is the attitude we need to have. When he saw what he'd done was wrong, he always, he didn't try to hide it, he didn't try to cover it up, he didn't try to minimize it. He said, "I have sinned, and I have done this, and I, and I will repay everything that I can." And that's again, that's an attitude that we need to, to have. So. That was a very, very brief uh, reading of First uh, Chronicles 21 and on in 22 just a little bit. But uh, why does this bother me? You know, you, you sit there and you read about this. And the reason being is because, you know, well, David is dead and gone. David's been gone for a long time. The ark, the tabernacle that uh, showed up there later, <clears throat> they've been lost. The temple that Solomon built, it's been destroyed. So, again, why am I bothered? And it's because when you read this, I see so much of myself in David. And not because he's a mighty warrior and not because he was a king or anything like that. I see where I minimize sin sometimes. David is me and I am David, I guess you would say. I haven't numbered Israel. You know, I never will be able to number Israel. But I've sinned. And we all have. You know, we've lusted. We've lied. We've cheated. We've gossiped. We've slandered. We've coveted. We've acted immorally at times. We may have even stolen and on and on and on. That's, a very, that's not even an exhaustive list. But we've done those things in the past. And I've so many times just easily glossed over my sin because they're just not near as bad as other people's sins. And that's my wrong attitude. That's not the way God looks at it. Um, so if we've done those things, if numbering Israel was so devastatingly evil, and it caused seventy thousand men to lose their, their lives, um, then where does that leave me? Well, as you said, the sword of the Lord was coming for three days, within three days for pestilence that we talked about in First Corinthians twenty, or excuse me, First Chronicles twenty-one. It's not coming for me. the The sword of the Lord that came for David was not. It's not coming for me. But make no mistake, it will come for me eventually. Uh, Romans 3.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we may not see the dreadful nature of our own failures, our own sins, but God does. God, It's not like he's up there happy to keep account of what we do, but God knows all. He sees all. And he doesn't just gloss over and say, Well, you know, an old Tim meant well, so I'll skip this one. He doesn't say that because that wouldn't be fair and that wouldn't be God. Hebrews 10.31 Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter ten, verse thirty-one. <clears throat> Hebrews ten thirty-one said, "It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. His wrath is unbearable. The, Lord, the wrath of the Lord is unbearable, and it says it's a fearful thing. But it's what we deserve." No matter what Satan tells us, and when I say Satan, I mean the world, no matter what the world tells us. You know, the world tells me that sin's not so bad. They even use sin in their, um, in their advertising a lot. They've made sin just a funny little word that we throw around with no consequences whatsoever. And we need to be real careful about that in following after <laughs> the way of the world, even when uh, they take words from the Bible and cause them to be uh, less than what they are. We see there in 1 Chronicles 21 that God provided David with a solution. He sent the angel, and the angel said, this is what you have to do. But he provided for us just as well. <clears throat> but he went further in our case. Think about this. There's some parallels, but then he's gone even further. David, when they had the solution, David said, I'm going to pay full price. He paid for the threshing floor. He built the altar. There was a lot of physically th- physical things he had to do. But God provided all. He provided the altar and the sacrifice for us, for everybody in this room and everybody in this world and everybody that's ever lived. And it didn't cost us anything. I didn't have to write a check and give it to anybody for that. So God gave us that for nothing. And then David's sacrifice, it came after his repentance. And God provided Jesus Christ while we were still sinners and enemies of God. Turn over to Romans 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for me before I was even born. He died for every one of us before we were even born. God sent that sacrifice and you know, when you realize the scope and the magnitude of God's mercy and his grace, that should humble us. A lot of times, we just don't even think about it. And, and that's our fault. The Lord has put it out there and we need to think about it and act upon it. But so many times, we just we don't think about it until I'm getting ready to do my lesson or I'm getting ready to come down to the, the, the building here or if I'm going to be with brothers and sisters in Christ, I think more about it. We need to think more about it. Let's do a little cost analysis. David's sin cost 70,000 men their lives. My sin cost Christ his life. Now, is that fair? Let's turn over to John 3.16. And I can quote these, but uh, I like to turn there just in case. John 3.16 It's one that probably everybody in this room can quote. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So I don't, know, I don't know if that's fair, but I'm certainly glad that God sent Jesus, and I'm certainly glad that Jesus, he said, not my will but thine be done. So let's turn this to another, maybe down another street here. As we gather on the first day of the week to celebrate this forgiveness, this is what we come together for, uh, to partake of the Lord's Supper, the Communion. As we partake, we need to remember how bad sin is. Let's not ever forget how vile, how terrible, how terrible sin is. And let's think about the power of his love. He loved us so much that he sent his only son. And I I preach at Willisburg occasionally, and there's only there's only one little boy, he's ten years old. And and I look at his daddy and I ask him, I said, Would you give up your son for anybody here? And he does like I'm doing now. Just don't realize how much God gave up for us and how powerful his love is and the forgiveness coming from his sacrifice. I don't care how many times I say it, it's still, I always act the same way. But we need to realize that. It's not just a reminder of God's past events, of what he's done for us in the past but it should look towards the future, our future lives. Uh, David didn't offer his sacrifices and then just quit. And we shouldn't just merely, as we partake of the Lord's Supper on Sunday morning and if you offer it in the the afternoon, we shouldn't just merely partake of it and then move on with our lives. This is so much more important than we maybe sometimes um, put on it. Um, It's true that our sin, that our sin sacrifice cost us nothing, and we've received a free gift of life from God. But let's turn to Romans 12.1. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Another verse that we should be very familiar with. It's true that we've received the gift, free gift of life from God, but there's something that God does want in, in return we got to be willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice therefore i urge you brethren by the mercies of god to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to god which is your spiritual service of worship we have got to be willing to give ourselves give our total 100% ourselves let's not just remember jesus sacrifice on sundays but every day being every day sacrifice let's turn over to galatians chapter 2 verse 20 <clears throat> Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's an everyday sacrifice. When you get up in the morning, the first thing, you're going to make decisions. You're going to make probably hundreds of decisions every day. When you get up in the morning, you need to look in the mirror or look at your spouse or say to yourself, "I am resolved to serve the Lord today, no matter what." And sometimes we get so busy. Uh, Lori and I've been even extra busy here lately. You get up and you just go out and you go. You just kind of try to hit and do everything you can do, and you don't keep God in the mix. And that's a really bad and dangerous and terrible thing if you're not careful. So let's not just remember Jesus' crucifixion. You know, I did a I did a lesson on crucifixion. If you look at the physical side of it. Absolutely terrible. I mean, it, it absolutely the pain that Jesus went through. But let's not just think about his crucifixion on Sunday, and then you know just forget about it. Let's turn over to Luke fourteen twenty-seven. <clears throat> I keep taking these glasses off, putting them right back on. I'll just leave them on. Luke fourteen twenty-seven. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We have to take up our cross and follow him. And that's not, a, that's not the only time, like, when I became a child of God, all right, I took my cross up, Lord. It says, there are some that says take it up daily. I was take up your cross daily, every day that you are alive, every day that you're able to do anything at all. You take up uh, your cross and follow Jesus Christ. And uh, we're not to build an altar or build a temple as Solomon did later on as David did there, but we're supposed to become one. So this lesson was about seeing sin as God sees it, but it's also about some other things. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, let's look through God's eyes as best we can. We can't think exactly like God because his ways and his thoughts are higher than our ways. But let's think about what God did and to the extent that he went To offer us salvation. And when I look through it through God's eyes, it gives me a whole different perspective on when I just sin a little sin. And I say that in quotation marks because there's no such thing as that. When I lie, when I deceive, when I just, when I'm lazy, when I do things that don't really matter a whole lot to a lot of people, and and your family or your friends will let you get away with it. God's not going to let you get away with it. And it's not because He's harsh, it's because He's true and honest and just. And he said, this is the way you've got to live. And so uh, let's remember what Jesus did for us. And, you know, if we think about that, truly meditate on that, it's going to motivate, motivate us in every part of our lives, not just when we're together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's going to motivate us on to do the right thing and to react to sin in the right way and to see it, that it is a devastating division between God and us. And there's nothing we can do. I can't, I can't work out my own salvation from my end. God has given me the tools to do it. And he said, this is what you got to do to be pleasing to me. Now, it's my choice. I can, I can decide to be uh, who I want to be and do what I want to do. Or I can say that Christ lives in me and Christ is now guiding my life. And that will, complete, that will completely change the way you look at things and the way we react to things. I hope this lesson has helped us in some way to remind us just how terrible sin is. That's what that book was written for, and that's why Christ died, uh, was to bring us back to God. And so if there's anyone here who is not a Christian, uh, you can start that walk today. It's not, it's not very difficult to become a child of God, but the—excuse me the true work comes when you become a child of God. Then you get up every day and you say, I'm going to live for God. Uh, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to do what's right. I'm not going to minimize sin. I'm going to try my best to live for, for God. And when I sin, when I violate God's will, I'm not going to minimize it. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of it. Or if you are a child of God, and you just kind of let sin kind of creep into your life, and I, I even hate saying it that way, because, you know, any of us who uh, read the Bible and study the word at all, we know when we sin. There may be one or two things here and there that we are truly ignorant of, but you know what? When I do something wrong, I know it. When, I, when I've thought something wrong, I know it. When I've said or reacted in a way to my family or my friends or even total strangers, I know when it's not right, and I need to take care of those. I need not just go, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do better later. I need to take care of that, and now is the time because we don't know how much more time we have um, I've had a couple people that I worked with that are not just a little bit older than me uh, die in the last couple of weeks. And the older I get, the more people I know, went to school with, have associated with, for some reason or another, either through disease or accidents or things are dying. And so, you know, I don't I don't say that to scare anybody, but I say it to motivate that if there's sin in your life, you need to take care of it because you, you may not ever darken the doors of this building again. So whatever your Uh, situation may be, we can help you take care of that as we stand and sing.